Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. You know when you're typing out these two tweets what the response is going to be. Um, And there's, I guess I would start with, what's the intent here? What do you want him to decide is in his best interest in the countries? That's a fine question, CNN. But let's talk about the two tweets. Because within the two tweets, the two posts, because it's X and not Twitter now, and between the political left saying if Joe Biden continues to support Israel, he's going to lose the election. You have chaos. The border, the economy, you have chaos in the Democratic Party. Now, I've been saying so on social media, and the usual suspects are clapping back, but wrongfully so because they're having an argument based on their ideology being bruised. I'm having an argument based on the data. Tony Katz, that's me. Tony Katz today, 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. That's the number, 833-GOT-TONY. Call in, feel free. What is it that this question is from CNN about these two posts on X Twitter? The posts come from David Axelrod. David Axelrod, who was the campaign advisor to Barack Obama. David Axelrod, who was there every single step of the way. And David Axelrod, who is now openly questioning whether Biden should be on the ticket. Now, you know that this has been a conversation for a while. I'm not not sharing anything new with you here. And I have been saying since this conversation started that there's no way they're going to replace Joe Biden on the ticket. It's too late. And I said this three months ago. There's no way they're going to replace him on the ticket. It's too late to do that. They're going to have to change rules and states. And what you responded with in unison was, Tony, this is the Democratic Party. They'll do anything they want. Which is, by the way, the correct answer. You're right. You are a thousand percent right. They'll just change any rule that they want, any time that they want, just ask Bernie Sanders, and they will decide that there's another candidate. Boom, and oh yeah, they'll be on the ballot. We'll just transfer it over. It's no big deal. Oh, legal challenges galore. You're just trying to influence an election. It doesn't matter. This judge, that judge, they're our friends. It'll all be fine. It'll all be fine. So of course they can. But even though you're right, I have said, ha. I don't think they're going to do it. Well, we have now officially entered the everybody agrees phase amongst the progressives that Biden needs to go. Now, there's a couple of reasons for this. And one of those are these numbers. These numbers that show that Donald Trump has a points edge that is worthy over Joe Biden in five out of six battleground states. In Nevada, and by the way, it's not Nevada. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. It's Nevada. And the people of Nevada say it's Nevada. It's Nevada. Trump's plus 10 over Biden in a matchup. Plus six against Biden in Georgia. Trump is plus five against Biden in Arizona. Plus five against Biden in Michigan. Plus four against Biden in Pennsylvania. 
in Wisconsin, Biden is up too. Now, you can go through the data and show, you know, a multiplicity of, of, of things. Well, if these people show up, if, if this number is accurate, it changes the dynamic. DeSantis is ahead of Biden in four of the six. Nowhere does he have a bigger lead than Trump, except for Wisconsin, where he's plus four over Joe Biden. Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley, I know, I know, I get, I get calls, I get emails. Tony, Nikki Haley is never getting the nomination. Just stop talking about it. All I'm doing is sharing the numbers. Even though she is climbing in a way that Ron DeSantis isn't, I would still say Ron DeSantis is the clear number two based on the polls, and Iowa will tell us the tale. But don't forget that Nikki Haley has opportunity to get to South Carolina where she can have her best chance to shine as the former governor there to springboard her into an opportunity for Super Tuesday. We're not discussing whether you believe it. We're discussing what it is the path would allow and where she has some built-in advantages. But that all depends on the showings in Iowa and New Hampshire where she's in third in Iowa, but she's second in New Hampshire. Again, what do the numbers? What do we believe in the numbers? But if we take a look at this uh, from the New York Times Siena uh, College poll, Haley is ahead in all six states, over Joe Biden, Nevada plus six, Georgia plus three, Arizona plus seven, Michigan plus ten, Pennsylvania plus ten, Wisconsin plus thirteen. But put all of that to the side. What have we been saying from the very, very beginning? Almost any Republican beats Joe Biden. That's what we've been saying. I I have the tapes to prove it. We have been on this, guys, together for months. Even if we agree or disagree about Trump or about Santos, about this one, about that one, a Republican, the vast majority of Republicans beat Joe Biden head to head. This could be referred to as generic Republican which has advantages over a named Republican because this mystery person, if you will, has not been painted by the press. So therefore, there are no Pavlovian responses. It's just conceptually based on policy and really based on how much, uh, I was going to say disdain, but really just yuck factor there is for Joe Biden. In the concept of generic Republican against Joe Biden, in Nevada, Republican wins by 15, in Georgia, 16, in Arizona, 18, in Michigan, 14, in Pennsylvania, 14, in Wisconsin, 15. Generic Republic, according to the New York Times Siena poll, beating Joe Biden by double digits in the six battleground states one must have in order to win. Or you could argue has to have some uh, possible... Uh, machinations in a few of those states to get those electoral college votes. These numbers are horrific for Joe Biden. People like Anna Navarro over at The View don't want you to fret your little head over it. So I went back and I looked at what the New York Times was saying one year out in previous year. And in 2011, uh, during Obama's re-election, oh, yeah. they had a headline that said, is Obama toast? 
Then they had a poll that had Obama five points down. Mm. Then, as you alluded to, they uh, were talking about the red wave and, you know, had all of us believing that the red wave was coming. Look, I think um, people are not quite laser focused on politics the way we may be uh, on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yet, they're going to get there. Nobody has laid a finger on Trump because the Republican primary has been like all these minions fighting amongst themselves who can even tell them apart at this point. Uh, and it doesn't matter. There's going to be a choice between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. You know, uh, Ax says, Axelrod says, uh, this is the last time. No, actually, that ship has sailed. Uh, the deadline to get on the on the ballot for Nevada was two weeks ago. Yeah. There are deadlines that you need to meet in order to be on the ballot, and those deadlines are passing or gone. And so, this, you know, I think, Democrats need to stop fretting, need to stop looking at this as a warning, and look at it as a wake-up call to organize, to mobilize, to register people, to talk about the accomplishments of this administration. It and to steal the vote. Oh, wait, no, 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 stop it. She didn't say that. Anna Navarro would never say such a thing. Come on, now. It's Anna Navarro. Let's break down just a couple of things uh, that she said. First of all, polling often does get it wrong. Like, for example, when I was told that Hillary was going to walk away with it in 2016. Polling also did get it wrong with Mitt Romney in 2012. Polling also did get it wrong with uh, uh, certain parts of the red wave. Although, if you take a look where the pollsters were, they were kind of more accurate than we give them credit for. Don't fret. Organize. Uh, they're fretting. But she brought up David Axelrod. Let's go back to it. What did Axelrod actually say? He put out on X Twitter... Only Joe Biden can make this decision. If he continues to run, he will be the nominee of the Democratic Party. What he needs to decide is whether that is wise, whether it's in his best interest or the country's. Oh, so we are indeed in the phase of saying it out loud. That everybody is agreed that these numbers are super bad, these numbers are indeed a wake-up call, and they're a wake-up call to the idea that Joe Biden is in a dangerous territory and America thinks he's an old, sad man. CNN asked the question, what are you trying to get Joe Biden to do? And David Axelrod answers. Look, uh, only he can decide that, Phil. But uh, and and I don't. I'm not reacting to one particular poll, but uh, you know, a whole body of uh, of research and conversations with people. Uh, and my concerns. I want to make clear. I think Biden's been a great president. I think he's done things that have generational will have generational impact and importance. I think he's you know, been honorable in the office. Uh, you know, I, I have I have nothing but good things to say. But uh, as I've said for like a couple of years now, the issue is not uh, for him is is not uh, political. It's actuarial. And you can see that in this poll. I mean, there's just a lot of concern about the age issue. The age issue is just one of the many, many places where there's concern. And as much as they don't want to talk about age, 
And they'll call you an ageist for talking about age. Age comes up in this election. This open conversation now about Biden being on the poll, uh, be, uh, being on the ballot, is proof that the poll numbers do indeed affect how these people act and react. So you have a president who is not popular. You have a president who is falling in uh, popularity, who has lost the Democratic Party. Add to that a Democratic Party that is now showing that it has no interest not only in Israel's uh, at all, no interest in Israel's existence. They don't want to support Israel. They are vehemently against Israel. Elected members, the, the squad, Andre Carson of Indianapolis, Jamal Bowman of New York, Akasi Cortez of New York, Ilhan Omar of Minnesota, Rashida Tlaib of Detroit, Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts. Actively, like in the case of Tlaib pushing lies regarding uh, Israel and this hospital bombing, which never happened, accusing Israel of genocide for turning off electricity to a terrorist organization because the terrorist organization can't provide electricity to the people of Gaza. Somehow it's Israel's responsibility. No, it's not. By every rational means, it is not. And while you have Democrats who are now coming out, people like uh, Nessel, uh, who's the attorney general of Michigan, and others saying, Rashida Tlaib, we supported you. We respected you. You can't be acting like this. Rashida Tlaib wants you to know that from the river to the sea is a song for freedom, a cry for freedom. No, it's a cry for genocide, you freak. Everybody knows it's a cry for genocide. It's to kill all the Jews from the river to the sea. Palestine will be free is a call to genocide of Jews. According to Rashida Tlaib, it's a song for freedom. A cry for freedom. So you have a party that doesn't want the nominee that it has, who happens to be the president of the United States, and you have a party that has a tremendous amount of Jewish members, Lord only knows why, who also wants those Jews dead. That, kids, is a party in chaos. And all I did was say it, and I got the usual suspects. Oh, well, what about the Republicans? And what about the... Children. Pookie, kitten, Boo Bear, Schmoopaloo. Listen to me. The Republican Party is stupid. The whole speaker thing was insane. But now Mike Johnson's the speaker who you refer to as a Christo-fascist while not admitting that Hamas is a terrorist organization that is made up of Islamo-fascists. Mike Johnson hasn't thrown a bomb my way. Mike Johnson hasn't drawn a swastika anywhere. Mike Johnson didn't try and scale the fence at the White House, and Mike Johnson isn't saying kill the Jews. Mike Johnson doesn't want you to have an abortion. That's Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House. Christo fascist. Shut up. People are ridiculous. This is how the press uh, engages it. Don't mention the fact that these Jew haters want a country gone and want people killed in the streets. That is my take based on their actions and based on their comments. They also, and the press won't mention the chaos, but there it is. The Republicans are a freak show. I concede. The Democrats are in Full chaos. They weren't. Now they are. 
They are here in full chaos. And could you imagine what would happen if Democrats started standing up left and right and telling Rashida Tlaib, shut your bigoted mouth. Hey, Andre Carson, stop hating Jews. If they actually asked, hey, Ilhan, did you actually marry your brother to stay in the country? What? There's not documentation going on? Please. All I said were the Democrats were in chaos and the pushback was, how dare you? Republicans this. No, 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 no. This ain't about Republicans. We can talk about Republicans if you want. But right now we're talking about the Democratic Party. In a bad, bad place. And what we're seeing is that even they can't fully contain it. I mean, they're going to try. They're going to try and ignore what shouldn't be ignored. But we aren't. We're going to pay attention to everything. This is a party in chaos. I'm Tony Katz. It is sometimes hard to figure out what is reality. Because sometimes the stuff is just really weird. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. I I couldn't make this up by any uh, possibility. There's no possibility I can make this up. This is Senator John Fetterman of Pennsylvania who is at a rally. And of course, he's getting yelled at because he's been supportive of Israel. He's actually been very, very vocal in in the support. One of the few. And there are people at this rally for a candidate. He's there for a a local candidate yelling at him. This is the news reporting from Action News Forum Pittsburgh. Listen. That's why I'm here. She's why all of you are here. But moments later, he's interrupted by a protester. 4,000 plus dead children in Palestine, 9,000 plus dead civilians. Get off the stage. Get off the stage. I don't care. That's not what you're Then Fetterman says this. So he's getting mocked. He's getting heckled by one of these uh, pro-Hamas protesters. This is how John Fetterman responds. I'm telling you, if you're driving, hands on 10 and 2. Oh, if you're driving, you might want to sit down. Fetterman says this. The joke, the joke is on you. I had a stroke. I can't fully understand what you're saying. What? He said that out loud? Then Fetterman says this. The joke, the joke is on you. I had a stroke. I can't fully understand what you're saying. So, so he's admitting it? So, how many things does he not fully understand? Does it need to be written? Does he fully understand that? Does it need to be explained to him? Does he fully understand that? Or the second time, or the third time, or the fourth time? How many things does a sitting senator in the United States Senate not understand? He said that like it was a, ha, I'll trick you. Let's see. We live in this country. I just, want, I just want you to know that this is actually happening. And if this is the simulation, somebody's doing some really good programming. Like, 
Either that or maybe they had a stroke. This is Tony Katz today. So it is two pick sixes, two interceptions, two touchdowns for Kenny Moore, number two. The problem there is that the defense had more offense than the offense for the Colts. Yeah, a win is a win is a win, and they needed the win, and certainly a win over Frank Reich is everything Jim Ursay wanted to prove him right for firing him midseason last year. But it doesn't bode well for the issues with this Colts offense. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. JMV joins us from 93.5, The Fan. He is the voice of sports in Indiana. I want to get to the Colts, but let us start with IU. Let us start with the win over Wisconsin, 20-14. to 14. And They've got three more games and the possibility, however outrageous, of a bowl game. The, the, what is your take on this win? Well, it's a good win. A good win for those guys. Good win for uh, IU football fans that actually go there every single home game uh, to root on a team that ultimately, uh, more than likely, is going to end up losing. And, you know, you're talking about a, a solid um, Wisconsin team coming in. They haven't been beaten in a long time, like basically everybody else, um, and getting a win. Now, I don't know about looking further down the road and them running the table at all and becoming bowl eligible. But let's just face it. I mean, it was the type of game uh, that they win. They didn't give it away. They actually went out there and won it at home in front of their faithful fan base that stayed around, hung around. And that that is a good thing. That doesn't change anything, not just in the short and the long. It just um, it gives reason for those dudes that are actually going out there and practicing every week to see results to something that, that frankly, Tony, we haven't seen a lot of results to this season. When we take a look down the road, you've got Michigan State. Well, you've got Illinois, then Michigan State, then Purdue. I'm not saying that this team is going to be bowl eligible, and I'm not saying this team is good. I'm saying at least it is possible. Does a bowl, securing a bowl game, winning out the next three, which would be four wins in a row, does that keep Tom Allen around a little longer? Well, I don't know if it's going to after next year. Um, I think that they're right now, they're hell-bent on you know, making sure they make a change once that buyout is, I think, down from, what is it, $20 million, $16 million to, uh, to under eight after that, a more reasonable. Uh, he's going to be around next year, Tony. He's not going to go anywhere anyway. Uh, but it's a more reasonable number after that. You know, it's kind of funny. I look at IU football right now in terms of what you just brought up, that scenario, to that of the Colts. Because you can look at the Colts, and other than really, you know, Cincinnati, arguably Pittsburgh, they don't have anything left on their schedule. So, you know, what's the reason? Why can't they win out and make something out of this? And the same can be said, as you brought up, about IU, but you just don't expect it. You don't expect it. I mean, consistently from both of these teams, including IU, even against Illinois or a Michigan State or a Purdue team, and none of which, Tony, you're absolutely right, are any good. But to see IU, you know, not do themselves in, you know, to play at a level in which to get three consecutive wins, you know, translate that into four after this past weekend. The same can be said regarding the Colts. I mean, it is a winnable schedule, to say the least, 
But simply put, much like IU, the Colts just aren't that good. Talking to JMV, the voice of sports in Indiana, just taking a look. Uh, Soresby was 19 for 31, 186 yards and, and a touchdown. Uh, that That isn't uh, what we call in the business solid play, but is it solid enough play with the schedule they have to win out? Any level of consistency, solid play for IU at that position right now. Uh, they've been searching. There's no doubt about that. I, the quality of opponent, Tony, is, is not high. Now, can you? I mean, is there a path, as they would want to say? I, I know you come in political terms. You know, you talk about paths to this and paths nice. to that. Yeah, there's a path. But it would just have to be different than the type of IU team. Like, I don't think that that was a springboard to anything. I think that was a game they played at home. Um, they they consistently did some things good. I just don't know if it's long-lasting consistency. I just thought it was a game among games. And, you know, even with the schedule that's not that difficult with those remaining games, I couldn't see IU winning out whatsoever. Let's move it over to the Indianapolis Colts beating the Carolina Panthers 27-13. to It is Kenny Moore with just a, a game that you dream of Two interceptions, two touchdowns. The team had three interceptions overall. Bryce Young with one touchdown, three interceptions on the day, 24-39 in the passing for 173 yards. Uh, Kenny Moore is good. Is Kenny Moore that good, or was it Bryce Young just showing Kenny exactly where he's going to throw that ball? Well, I mean, I thought Kenny Moore was great, and good for Kenny Moore, too. Because if you remember, Tony, you go through last year, and – you know, he was upset about the contract situation, didn't like it, what have you, without the extension. And he didn't give anybody any reason to believe that he deserved, you know, that type of attention, that type of extension, anything. It was a struggling year last year. And he stepped up big. I mean, he really has. And in terms, Tony, of the position that he plays, you know, slot corner, you look at that secondary, it has been beaten up, banged up, and frankly, not any good. And that was a bright light of the type of game that he showed yesterday. So, I mean, was it a lot to do with the rookie quarterback making mistakes? Yes, there's no question about that. But being there and being able to take advantage of it, and knowing this, Tony, knowing that your team needed it because they had 198 total yards. Let's not forget how bad the offense was, and especially the offense through the air. It was going nowhere fast. And without the two Kenny Moore plays, the two pick sixes, who knows what could have happened to a one-win team in Carolina. So, no, all credit to Kenny Moore. He has been so good this year. I mean, among the defensive players on this team, we talked about Zaire Franklin, you talked about DeForest Buckner. Kenny Moore this season has been right there. So credit where credit is due on a day of days for the Colts cornerback. Yeah, I don't I don't appreciate you stealing my thunder because he alone <laughs> is 14 points. Uh, consider the extra points as part of it. Why not? Uh, Gardner Minshew and that offense were only 13 points. Gardner was 17 of 26, 127 yards and a touchdown. Uh, the running game without Gardner Minshew's five yards was only 73 yards on the ground. Now, admittedly, when a guy has two pick sixes, the offense is not spending as much time on the field, right? So that to, to build right. out those stat lines is, is less possible. But 17 for 26 for 127 yards doesn't seem like something that's going to really suffice 
even if you're just looking for your backup, although Gardner, I think, is better than backup, just to game manage. I get the impression you're saying right here that if the Colts play basically anybody else on their schedule, they probably lose yesterday. Well, they've, they got, they've got they the, the Patriots all, all, all next week in Germany, and do. I think that they can beat the Patriots in Germany. But yeah. is this is this is not an offense right now that's set up to to win. No, no. It, it, well, and listen, Minshew mania, Gardner Minshew. He's a backup quarterback at the end of it all. Here's the one thing I noticed. I don't know if you did as well or anybody else did. He doesn't have the strongest of arms to begin with, right? But I noticed yesterday. I think we're measuring in terms of time, Tony, like in an hourglass with his throws once he releases it and then it gets in the general vicinity of the intended target. His arm looked even weaker, I felt, yesterday than it has in a while. I don't know if he's kind of getting to the point where the wear and tear, and certainly this team this team needs a bye week. And after Frankfurt, Germany, they're going to get a bye week, and they definitely need that. It's a late-in-the-season bye I thought that in terms of arm strength, it looked even worse than it normally did yesterday. And there may be, Tony, a great deal of wear and tear for a guy that's not a starter, but a backup in there playing the starter's role. That's the way it looked to me yesterday. Well, if arm strength is our conversation as opposed to accuracy and moving the ball down the field, then that's the case for Ellinger because arm strength is not an issue there. No, no, no. no. They weren't going to pull the plug on him yesterday uh, because they were winning. Now, and I, I doubt if they pull the plug on him at any stretch. I just think he looked to me like he has some wear and tear on the whole body right now, too. And that's not to excuse it because you got to get through it. He just looked like a quarterback that is on a team that's not very good offensively um, and has put him, along with him putting himself in a lot of bad situations, Tony, that is in need, desperate need, of a bye week after next week. That's just the one thing I noticed. I just thought that his ball looked uh, fluttery and more clumsy than it normally did yesterday in those attempts. But, no, honestly, that was an offensively bad effort. I mean, it was it was across the board, and, and Kenny Moore on that defense saved him. Saved him a lot of embarrassment losing to Frank Rack in Carolina. Talking to JMV, the voice of sports in Indiana from 93.5, 107.5, the fan in Indianapolis. The only fumble was from Isaiah McKenzie. Uh, to Gardner's uh, credit, not only no uh, picks, but also none of those uh, I'm holding on to the ball too long and, and, and fumbles. Uh, uh, it's interesting that you talk about how you saw the crispness uh, of, of the passes. Uh, I'm wondering if you saw an offensive line that gave him more protection. Um, yeah, I, that's, that's a good question. I, I, there are some times when it looked like it did. I just thought that the whole offense in, in terms of yesterday, Tony looked discombobulated and it wasn't really because of that Panther defense. It just looked like that it was a struggle really for everybody. Um, and, and it's funny, it's funny what in terms of situations can do, you know, and wins can do to change your opinion. Can you imagine for a moment what we're talking about if they end up losing that game? If they don't get those defensive plays, they lose that game. And we're talking about this offense, you know, looking as bad as it has all season long. 198 total yards. I mean, you can't live on that. You can't live on that week to week. They were just fortunate they were playing a team much worse and and honestly the worst team in the NFL in Carolina yesterday. The the offense is at at a point of struggles right now. Sometimes they have it. Sometimes they don't. Yesterday they did not. And, again, the defense picked them up. But uh, 
Nah, I mean, ultimately, you know, I don't know where to really place blame on that right now. It just kind of looks like that uh, at this point of the season, it looked like they were a little out of gas for me yesterday. But you bring up the best point of all when you want to talk about Gardner Minshew. He didn't turn the football over. I mean, that's what we asked before the start of the game. Hey, don't turn the football over as you have here in the past two or three games. You know what, Tony? He did not do that. They win. That's something positive you can look at. Also positive, you take a look at this Patriots game in Germany uh, next week, and then they have the bye week. It is very possible that the Colts go into the bye at 500, which you would argue certainly it's a better record than they had last year. It's better than people thought that they would be at. You look at the rest of the schedule past the Patriots, and I don't think you should look past the Patriots in terms of uh, the game that's got to be played. There, I, I don't know if there's a chance to win the d- division, but there's a chance to come above, come out of this over 500, correct? Yeah, well, here's what you can look at. Vegas odds, remember, Tony, we talked about this at the start of the season, six and a half was the over-under. They're at four right now. So, I mean, they're firmly in play to hit the over on this. And, and I have a, a more a more individual-based argument. Uh, and I kind of make this personal. I don't want to start talking about mock drafts and free agency and off-season maneuvers. I want to talk about a team that is still in the hunt, still playing for something. And, Tony, this schedule does, as you mentioned, play out for to, to give them the opportunity to still play for something. And that's if you don't trip and fall over in Germany because the Patriots, another team that's just begging – to be beaten again. You know, you watch the Buccaneers and once they get off the bye week, the Colts, that is, Buccaneers lose on the road to Houston and that incredible performance by C.J. Stroud yesterday. They can stay competitive because of this schedule. But a lot of what we talked about and the mistakes and such cannot be made. Didn't make him yesterday. Good for them, other than Isaiah McKenzie. But um, obviously, all the way around, better games you're going to have to have. It's going to be interesting to see. They're going late in the week, Tony, to Frankfurt, Germany. Normally, you go a little bit earlier to become more acclimated. They're not going until Thursday. be interesting to see this team's reaction with that short time to get used to stuff over in Germany for Sunday morning. JMV, the voice of sports in Indiana. I appreciate you taking the time, as always. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. Anthony Blinken makes these surprise trips to visit Arab allies. This is how the Wall Street Journal put it. Blinken rushes to reassure Arab allies in surprise trips. What exactly is he reassuring them about? What what are the necessary reassurances that the United States isn't going to let Israel go too far? That the United States, you know, they may not like Hamas, but oh, they're not going to let Israel get away with all this. What is? What are the assurances that are being searched for? What are the assurances that Blinken is giving? And are these assurances, never mind in Israel's best interest, right? The, the Secretary of State has to be concerned with America's best interest. So what are those? In this situation, when the, when the Secretary of State is flying over, what do we declare are America's best interests? Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. I said bests interests. All of a sudden, 
I'm a squirrely Dan on Letterkenny. Best interests. And that's the question. He goes to Ramallah. He's in Baghdad. What are the what are the reassurances that we're going to do everything we can to keep this from being a regional conflict? Well, that isn't about us. That's about Iran. That's about the funding of Hezbollah and the attacks from the north. That's about Iran and funding the Houthi rebels in Yemen who are sending over rockets. That's about Iran with drone attacks against U.S. uh, uh, military forces where dozens have been injured. The same people who want to tell us that that, uh, Joe Biden is standing firm and telling anybody who wants to uh, try and exacerbate and exacerbate the situation, don't. Oh, he's saying it with such firmness, don't. The vice president, don't. Secretary Blinken, don't. But Americans are getting attacked, so who's listening? Who's listening to that at all? What exactly, what exactly are the assurances that Israel won't take the destruction of Hamas and then say, oh, by the way, enough of this West Bank talk. This is Israel. Personally, enough of this West Bank talk. It's part of Israel. It is what it is. But I don't know what Israel's going to do. But I'm very curious as to where this administration thinks the best interests are. I think the best interest should start with getting American hostages back and making sure American troops aren't sitting ducks. And if that means taking on Hezbollah to the north, okay. Keep Americans safe. I don't want the war. I don't want Americans being used for target practice either. Where are the assurances that that'll stop? This is Tony Katz today. Today.